Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. I am Mary Eisen and I will be replacing Jonathan Hessen as the program's host for this week. One of the biggest challenges facing any country is to learn the lessons from past conflicts and implement these lessons to better face the next confrontation. In the Israeli reality, it seems the next conflict is never too far away. It could be against Hamas terror from the south or Hezbollah terror from the north. We also are hearing, as of late, a growing clamor of voices about a possible direct confrontation against Iran's Islamic regime. To better understand Israel's preparedness and what lessons we have learned from past conflicts, we have with us today expert panelists to discuss this issue. With us are... Colonel retired Dr. Iran Lerman, co-host of TV7's Middle East Review, Jerusalem Institute Strategic Studies Vice President and Editor-in-Chief of the Jerusalem Strategic Tribune. Hello, Iran. Thank you, Mir. And with us are Brigadier General retired Relik Shafir, former Israel Air Force Commander of the Tel Nof Base. Shalom, Relik. Hello. Shalom. To start out, let us hear first from our in-house analyst, Amir Owen, for a deeper understanding of the issue. Amir, your thoughts on the matter. Hi, Miri. Thank you, and welcome to hosting the show. There is the distant past and the most recent past when we talk about uh, lessons learned. And obviously, uh, we must uh, search for those lessons which transcend any particular conflict because uh, we are bound to fall into the trap of uh, preparing once again uh, for a war which is not going uh, to repeat itself, uh, um, at least not uh, in the same way or even against the same uh, enemy. So um, just uh, uh, to help ourselves uh, reorient, let's look at uh, the data which the Israeli Defense Forces um, uh, put out only a few days ago um, in order to sum up uh, 2021. And it turns out that even though uh, only the tip of the iceberg has reached the media uh, when these operations uh, were in place, there were more than a thousand combat sorties of the sort General Shafir used to undertake as a fighter pilot and then uh, a leader of other pilots. There were more than 300 helicopter sorties, all of uh, them either operational or uh, rescue or training for an operation. Many of those uh, sorties were in Syria against uh, the Iranian effort to entrench uh, itself. There were dozens upon dozens of maritime operations be they uh, submarine, naval commandos, missile boats, many of them clandestine, in order to prepare for the next war. So it really behooves us to uh, try to um, um, underanalyze what we don't know, because most of the work has been either 
to prepare against the day where the Israeli defense forces are needed for a major war, or in order to keep the uh, country's walls guarded, as in Guardian of the Walls uh, last May, or to um, uh, have the uh, deterrence equations with Hezbollah and Hamas in place. So as Amir, you just spoke about that. General Shafir, I'm going to go first to you. Relik, my question is about the Israel Air Force, which is so well known for its lessons learned. It seems to be even something which is built into the Air Force more than any other branch of the Israeli Defense Forces. How do you feel that the Israeli Air Force are the ones who learn lessons and, and lens, uh, sorry, lessons and implement them to better face the next confrontation and not repeat mistakes of last confrontations? Uh, one of the uh, issues that make the Air Force able to, uh, or even forced to uh, learn lessons is that everything is videotaped or computer uh, taped in such a manner that the actual actions be it in training or in operations, is recorded, can be viewed uh, in hindsight, and the actual actions taken, uh, the spoken words, activities, etc., uh, can be uh, evaluated so that pilots and commanders are used to be uh, uh, transparent and uh, report uh, exactly what happened not because they are uh, better people than others, but because everything is uh, being able to be reviewed. So that actually what happened is not a question usually. And the, the question is, uh, when you compare the planning and the results, uh, were they satisfactory? Um, should they be repeated? Should be, 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 be they uh, upgraded, etc.? So um, there's a lot of technology that is involved in the lessons learned uh, psychology and philosophy in the Air Force. The other part is that the Air Force gives strength to younger officers through its selection phase, um, peer assessment and other uh, criteria that allows the lower ranks to stand up to their commanders uh, if the commanders are wrong in their uh, fact-checking or uh, um, ability to, to analyze results. So these, with the fact that people from the bottom tend to come up with new ideas uh, that are not stopped by their uh, higher commanders, allows the Air Force to seek to be better all the time and prepare for the next uh I would say, a challenge. Uh, we bear in mind that in 1973, uh, we failed as an Air Force to understand the uh, effects of the missiles, the anti-aircraft missiles, and that is in the back of our mind whenever we think of the future, that we need to be careful in analyzing and preparing for the future. That's an amazing way to put it in that sense, just thinking about the strengths and both the weaknesses and allowing that younger generation to speak out. And Iran, Colonel Lerman, as I speak with you, I'm thinking to myself of the zoom out. 
we have a new prime minister. In that sense, most probably, that next confrontation will be with a new prime minister, a new cabinet. How do you think the implementation of lessons learned is done when you have new personnel at the top of Israel's security decision-making process. Does that impact it? Do you expect them to be able to stand up to this? Well, um, we, we're not talking about an inexperienced individual who came out of, uh, of the woods. This is a man who had served as defense minister for a while, sat in the uh, uh, cabinet uh, for a number of years, uh, in several capacities, um, participated um, as uh, as a minister in the discussions during the last uh, uh, the previous major confrontation in Gaza in 2014 uh, was in, in opposition in the last round in May 21, but uh, basically is supported by uh, first of all, of course, the institutional capacities of the Ministry of Defense. Uh, led by a former chief of staff and and uh, and with a very uh, robust capacity to offer analysis, and I should say also um, uh, at his elbow, a very experienced professional uh, at the National Security Council, which comes from actually the field of uh, of physics, uh, a man of of uh, significant abilities. And if uh, indeed we need to contend with the greatest challenge of all, namely uh, the Iranian question, I think we have the team in place. Um, the, the, the questions that we face are run deeper, uh, have elements of the IDF uh, capacity atrophied, while um, unquestionably the Air Force has been kept at, uh, at top speed uh, in, the, in the context of the CBW, the campaign between the wars, uh, in uh, an era in which our intelligence capabilities have grown exponentially based on, on uh, Israeli uh, um, technological, uh, Israeli technological position and cyber position, which is uh, second to perhaps only one in the world. But at the same time, other, other capacities which may come to be tested. We cannot assume that uh, the next war will again be what we saw in uh, in May 21, namely an air and cyber uh, campaign. Uh, the, uh, the question is, do we have the ground forces? So, and do we have the capacity uh, to absorb a serious threat to the rear areas of Israel? And um, I think the answers to both are, are, are evolving. I wouldn't be, I don't want to, to sound pessimistic, uh, but there's certainly a lot of work to be done and a lot of work being done uh, to uh, move away from what we saw back in 2006 and to some extent even in 2014 in terms of the uh, limitations and difficulties of our ground forces in, in action. That's an amazing point, and I really want to keep going with that with you, Amir. Um, Iran mentioned both the home front. He talked about the atrophy, which is such a hard term in that sense. Let's talk a bit more about Israel in that sense, both domestically, home front, and the atrophy of the IDF. Where would you go? So two points there. One, um, casualties. The uh, cost of war in human terms. Now, uh, every country, of course, uh, wants uh, its troops to come home safely. 
But uh, for uh, Israeli decision makers, this is a major consideration. You know, only um, a few decades after World War II, it was revealed that one of the troop ships going from the coast of England to uh, Normandy uh, was torpedoed by a German submarine, and almost 800 people on board were lost. And this is approximately what Israel lost in this Six-Day War. Now, um, the uh, uh, dimension of uh, what the cost would be both on the home front uh, when uh, it is going to absorb missiles and rockets and on the battlefield if you have maneuver elements, tanks, infantry, perhaps um, artillery and other ground forces involved. This is uh, always uh, in the back of the mind of the decision makers, which is why they want to shorten the war um, and um, uh, do whatever the mission uh, demands as fast as possible. Another point is that when we talk about the qualitative military edge, originally it had to do with quality over quantity hardware-wise. Israel always had a doctrine of the few against the many. There was uh, no chance of Israel uh, vying with the uh, Arab countries around it, uh, with their uh, dominance in, in hardware. So Israel wanted to have the latest and most sophisticated items so that uh, along with its doctrine, the, its offensive um, uh, air-ground doctrine, it would win wars. But there is also another dimension to quality, and that is decision-making, staff work, and especially, as Relic Shafir alluded to, command and control, and again, especially in the operations division of the general staff and in the Air Force. If you don't have bottlenecks, if you have... Um, the uh, sort of uh, seamless work between intelligence, operations, planning, and control, you are going to have uh, quality uh, battles. Absolutely. And Relic, as I take this over to you, I'm going to take you from your Air Force background and add in that part of that is also with air defense. Today we talk about missiles, and then we talk about anti-air missiles, and then we talk about the interceptors. And I'd like for a moment for you to think just in the last few weeks, we've seen occasions that even from the Gaza Strip, anti-air missiles have been fired, that when we're talking about Iran, they have been trying to practice or exercise with what they call very long-range missiles. How do you feel in that sense that Israel is prepared? How have we learned lessons to better face these kind of challenges in the next confrontation? I think uh, we've learned that the numbers uh, of, of missiles and rockets, there's a difference between a missile and a rocket in that missiles are, are guided and um, have a navigation system that can uh, make them hit uh, with greater uh, accuracy. Um, but I think what we know now is that the numbers game is such that we cannot shoot every missile that or rocket that will be fired either from uh, Hezbollah or Hamas. Um, and, and we need to think uh, of how to handle this. 
one of the things is understand that there will be damage uh, and collateral damage to the military and to civilian infrastructure, uh, which is more substantial if they deploy their, their full capacity. Um, and we need to be aware of this psychologically and obviously uh, trained for this. This is one thing. Another thing is how can we handle uh, a barrage such as uh, we envision in the future? And I think it'll be quite a few years and maybe uh, the laser type uh, defense um, can be uh, uh, can address that and and be able to shoot a lot more of these missiles and rockets than the uh, Iron Dome and the other types of missiles. Concerning the uh, Iranian threat, um, the Iranian threat is to be met above the atmosphere by the aero-type missiles and the, uh, the middle uh, uh, ground, uh, the lower echelon missiles, so that most of them, um, understanding where they're going through our computer system, can be shot down. We're not talking about hundreds of missiles, uh, certainly not at this time. And these are, are large, uh, what we call ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles, uh, that would be shot at Israel. Uh, and this is what we have, the shields, that the, the David shield and the, uh, um, the David sling and the arrows. Uh, but I think going back in psychology, um, the more we are able to uh, project a threat to those who plan to shoot and uh, make him think twice or three times, on uh, shooting those missiles because they will lose their infrastructure, and we're talking about Hezbollah, um, I think the better it is because it, we are going to take quite a toll in, uh, uh, on the ground from those. That's such an important point. And Iran, if you could continue with your thoughts on this in the sense of what um, Relik just brought up, both in the resilience of the home front right. inside Israel, but also on the zoom out level of Israel's deterrence capability in the aftermath of other confrontations. Where are we on that front? Well, let's start with resilience. Um, and as uh, my my friend and, and colleague, uh, co-editor at the JST and uh, and the colleague at the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security, uh, Dr. Pina Shuker wrote in her PhD, um, the notion that democracies cannot tolerate um, casualties is misguided. A democracy can tolerate a, a high level of casualties if it has a sense of purpose, if it has a sense that the war uh, can be won effectively and that it is fighting for something worth fighting for. In Israel's case, of course, we're talking about our, our sheer survival against enemies which are committed to actually to our destruction, not just to some material conflict between us and them, as is the case with the Iranian leadership and its proxies, um, uh, such as Hezbollah. And uh, But resilience does require a sense and I've seen, we've seen this very clearly, for example, in, in 91, when Iraqi missiles were hitting and there, were, there was a sense that there was a problem with our resilience because we were doing nothing. We committed to the Americans to do nothing. It may have been the right decision, but it still affected public morale. 
So we are, uh, there is a connection between the capacity of the ground forces and the air force to take the war to the enemy and to offer a prospect of a short and effective war and the actual resilience of society to casualties in, in a future war. There's always been such a connection. This is why uh, I, uh, why uh, um, President Roosevelt ordered the Doolittle raid with no effect whatsoever really in military terms, so as to, to show the American people immediately after Pearl Harbor that the Japanese were being hit back. Uh, and, and the same logic applies today. As for deterrence, um, of course, uh, there are things that have been happening in terms of our intelligence superiority, even deep inside Iran, without going into details, but in the minds of Iranians, Israel has achieved the very worrisome uh, penetration of their deepest uh, layers. Um, intelligence superiority is part of the uh, deterrent equation. And so is, and this is a new element, so is Israel's image as a um, worthy partner of the, the best militaries worldwide. Um, and we see this increasingly in the dimension that was missing in previous years uh, until about uh, a, gen a decade ago of close cooperation exercises, the blue flag uh, exercises, the naval exercises with Arab countries in the uh, from the Gulf. Eastern Mediterranean cooperation, uh, commando forces training in Cyprus. The list goes, gets longer and longer. This is an element that wasn't there in the past. It in itself, it adds to our deterrent posture in the sense that people realize that Israel is not isolated and that uh, Israeli capabilities are appreciated as worthy of learning from and learning with by some of the best militaries worldwide. So that adds to our deterrent posture. Absolutely. And it's amazing to think of resilience, casualties, deterrence. And as you look at that, Amir, what are we going to be surprised by? What should we be wary of? I'm feeling that we're facing too many things. Perhaps we need to be also surprised and hope not to be. Well, deterrence, um, of course, is first of all limited. You may deter the uh, other side's um, implementation of uh, its uh, plans, but uh, obviously uh, shoring up uh, its arsenal is beyond one's uh, deterrence, usually when we are talking about conventional uh, weapons. Now, um, ironically, um, once uh, you do implement your threat, the next time the level of anxiety goes down. And uh, if uh, I try to build on, on uh, Iran's example of 1991, yes, it was shocking to the Israeli population, especially in Tel Aviv and the center of Israel, all of a sudden having uh, uh, been uh, spoiled by the excellence of the Air Force, always um, ruling the air over Israel, all of a sudden being hit by missiles from Iraq. But the very fact that the population has undergone this experience has, in a way, immunized it to the second and third and fourth iterations of uh, this uh, threat. So that if tomorrow Shihab and other missiles rain on Tel Aviv from Iran, they will not uh, be uh, welcomed and uh, there will not be indifference 
but first of all, Israel is better prepared even by virtue of a metro system built both here in Jerusalem and in Tel Aviv. There are tunnels much like Britain during World War II. The population knows that it can withstand such um, attacks. The shock value is no longer there. So as we wonder about the shock value and where we're looking at, perhaps towards our last round, Relic, what I'd like to think about is that Israel has tried to prepare itself better against the tunnels, against the incoming rockets or missiles. In that sense, as an Air Force pilot, as somebody who's been there, what worries you looking towards that next war? If we're uh, able to uh, neutralize uh, precise weapons coming from uh, Hezbollah and hitting Air Force uh, bases, um, maybe taking out some of the runways or the ability to take off from the runways, uh, we may think that uh, we should be more uh, versatile. Maybe uh, get ourselves an F-35B type uh, squadron, which is the uh, short uh, takeoff and landing type uh, F-35 um, and be prepared to activate uh, more runways, taxiways, find ways to uh, quickly repair runways, etc. Uh, by the way, much like the Egyptians did uh, after 67, when they recognized their vulnerabilities uh, and were able to um, uh, find solutions so that in 73, uh, they were a lot better defended in their bases. They didn't do very well in the air, but much better on the ground with the Air Force on the ground. So I, I would worry and, and uh, uh, prepare for uh, getting hit uh, in the bases, in our infrastructure, um, maybe the uh, electric uh, current system, um, the fuel Very systems, important. things that are difficult to repair in, in real time or quickly. Um, okay. And psychologically, I'm more worried about the resilience of our political system and its ability to uh, operate because of the uh, uh, hostilities between the political parties they, the decision making may not be optimal, as I understand mentioned before. This. That Relic, worries me a lot more you. than anything else. I understand this. Elan, your short thoughts before we finish the program? Well, <clears throat> we have, of course, uh, we can never let uh, our eyes off uh, uh, two very crucial elements of any future campaign. We need to retain our special relationship with the United States because that ensures us of the capacity to uh, spend our resources uh, for war and assume and uh, with some confidence that we would be replenished. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for today. I want to thank again our guests, Relik Shafir, Iran Lerman, our analyst, Amir Oren. Shalom from Jerusalem Studio. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.